Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Colswick, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going today? <laughs> she said do, knowing do the want, answer <laughs> she said knowing the answer I, I, how much do you want me to shame myself in front of the listeners um, listeners, Noel's <laughs> not taking care of himself I am taking I'm not taking care of myself no. no, I think I have a broken like toe um, that I did yesterday mm. and am only maybe going to the ER tonight for um, it's not like bent in a weird angle or anything, but it's probably at least if it's not broken, it's very definitely heavily bruised. Yeah. Um, but I am probably going to the ER after I get pizza with my person. <laughs> okay, See, um, this is why I'm very yeah. glad your person's around to make you go get it looked at, checked out, or whatever. Go over to urgent care. Yeah. <sighs> okay, this. Yeah, but how are you? Well, <laughs> I have started to recover from the amazing finale of The Americans. Um, oh yeah, I heard. I, I've seen a lot of people talking about that. So I'm sure your conversation with folks today is going to be this week is going to be great. Yeah, no, we I, we had on um, friends of the show, Allison Shoemaker and Alex McLevy, both of course from the AV Club, and Allison, y'all know she's everywhere. Um, and we talked about just the Americans series finale because we knew if we <laughs> tried to do the finale and season six or and the show as a whole, it just would get too derailed. So we kept it nice and sure. tight, like. Like 35, 40 minutes on the finale. What? Wow. I know. I was impressed. I'm so impressed. Yeah, with with (laughs) our ability to, like, you know, not Chris Farley it up too much. Um, But, yeah, that was a terrific conversation that was coming at the the end of the show. Uh, But it was a good TV week Mm -hmm. uh, for things. Most notably, let's start with uh, a big wahoo out there for the sci-fi fans. Uh, Amazon picked up The Expanse for season four. Yeah, that was really good news. I, I imagine it has to do with how well the show, because I think Amazon has the streaming rights for mm-hmm. sci-fi shows. Um, so I imagine that played a large part in that particular pickup and pr- probably just does well enough for them that they can afford. I imagine that's a co-production that they'll just step in and take over from sci-fi. So, but that's really good news since I know a lot of people were, were really keen on, have been really keen on that show for a little while and especially really recently. Yeah, it's it's upped its game in season three. And I mean, it's also an adaptation of a book series so they can like, you know, if you like this show, you'll also like these books, you know, and they like the those cross promotions yeah, over they do Amazon. like that synergies. Yeah, no, because Amazon Prime Video is more so just there to get you to buy more shoes <laughs> than it is to make you watch videos. And Jeff Bezos has said as much. Yeah. Um, other big TV news was that Roseanne was canceled after Roseanne Barr, uh, in, in our, as it says in our notes here, reminds everyone she's awful. Um, she <laughs> tweeted out uh, some racist shit. And got a very immediate reaction, and the show got canceled. Uh, I, I was I, I kind of saw this as it was unfolding. I, I missed the initial wave, but then I saw that Wanda Sykes um, announced she was leaving the show. She was one of the head writers, um, and some of the other, some other like kind of trickling of things. And then it got canceled later that same day. Uh, I was very surprised and very pleasantly surprised. But it's like, guys, why are you surprised by this? This is what Roseanne does. Yeah, and that's sort of where I go with it, is ABC, as well as the actors who sort of, like, distance themselves, including Sarah Gilbert, 
or Sarah Gilbert? Yeah. Yeah, Sarah Gilbert, um, who was one of the uh, driving forces behind getting this show revived, uh, like distanced themselves from her comments. And I just went, no one gets any credit for this. Um, you you get negative credit for this because this has been Roseanne Barr for at least like the past decade, um, if not longer. And you knew what you were getting into when you decided to hire her again um, to do this show. So yay you remember that she was awful but you you just don't get credit for this in my opinion at all really um and it's i mean you shouldn't have it basically just reinforces the idea that this was something that they shouldn't have done in the first place because they were always going to have this problem with her um that this was always something that was potentially going to happen regardless of whether or not she had an Ambien prescription. And <laughs> yeah. that's how I found out about it was um, I woke up that morning with um, Roan Kaiser, who I think you've had on the show a couple mm-hmm. of times, yeah. um, saying that only my Ambien tweets are the best tweets because mm-hmm. um, I've tweeted on Ambien before and those are, those are good tweets. But I was just like, I have no context for this mention at all <laughs> until I looked at the news and went, oh, that's why he was saying I have good Ambien tweets. But I, I, it's, I'm glad the show's off the air. I'm a little unhappy that the show's um, old seasons have been pulled from Hulu as a result. Um, but this is also something that, uh, cause I was actually thinking about going back and rewatching some of the, some of that, um, since television is settling down, but this is also like an instance of like a lot of, of like the Cosby show also getting like pulled out of streaming circulation basically as a result of, um, the Cosby stuff. Um, so yeah, um, good on you ABC for doing it, but you should have just not done this in the first place. Yep. Definitely. And we had some false equivalency drama happening today as well in a way that I, 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 again, I completely missed this. Um, you know, we're recording early this week, so maybe this will have developed in in new and interesting ways in the next few days between when we record and when this comes out. But, um, yeah, so, so the, there's a strong reaction to a particular epithet used by Samantha B on uh, her episode this week of Full Frontal, she called Ivanka a feckless c- um, That will have been bleeped out because we I bleep out swears on this show on this podcast. But uh, I really don't understand. I mean, I understand why Samantha B then came forward to apologize for her language. Um, she deeply and sincerely apologized. I don't believe it for a second. I mean, it was a well-worded apology, but I don't believe it for a second. Um, but for me, uh, the false equivalency police of this, of saying that Full Frontal should get canceled um, because Roseanne got canceled, because Roseanne used loaded uh, uh, racial uh, epithets and, and that are that have just an entire history of oppression tied to them and dehumanizing and just this entire history to it is like the notion that that's equivalent to Sam B calling Ivanka the C word is insane to me. And it is. I mean, the historical perspective that you mentioned is completely accurate and the societal type of um, the, the cultural tradition that this is being uttered in is entirely why it's sort of a false equivalency. Yeah, it's just, it's the false equivalency of it all that's deeply, deeply frustrating. Yeah. And um, 
I was I was also just kind of generally frustrated by the apology as well. Mm-hmm. But I was all I will acknowledge that I was also frustrated by her use of it, given how the show in particular has used the c word in merchandising and in other ways as a positive sort of like reclamation sort of approach. Um, albeit in very specific circumstances. Um, so it was really weird to hear and see that deployed in this instance. Um, but it's also one of those things where the apology is frustrating because it's just like, well, yeah, but you're, this is the type of thing that your show does. Yeah. So it's, it, it was a little, it was a little weird and I understand, like you said, why she does the apology, because, I mean, A, she'd already lost one sponsor. And even within the Time Warner, like, media group, CNN was just, like, false stopping just short of being like, yeah, we should cancel for a full, full frontal. And TBS, like, came out with a statement as well, saying, she shouldn't have said this, and we also should not have aired this. Um, so I think that there's an acknowledgement. I don't think that TBS is going to pull the show by any stretch of the imagination. Um the only other thing I will say is that I sort of rolled my eyes when uh, Sarah Huckabee Stan- Sanders said that this type of stuff wasn't fit for broadcast. <laughs> I just went, well, that's because it's not broadcast, Sarah. Um, <laughs> it's it's cable. Um, and it so was bleeped they can, out, too. Yeah, it was bleeped out in cable. It streamed on, like, YouTube without censoring. Um, but it's it's not on broadcast, and so they can do whatever they want because it's cable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how cable works, everyone. This is how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always amused by how no one seems to understand that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a very different sort of situation, even if the language is loaded um from a different perspective without necessarily some of the larger historical and societal stuff it's still loaded but it's it's nowhere near as like it's not even remotely comparable i mean roseanne barr was commenting on someone's physical appearance and tying that to a history of dehumanization right samantha b was commenting on ivanka trump's personality history and and actions like Yes. Her, per, their, like who she has shown herself to be, what she has shown her character to be, that is yeah. not, like. And also, granted, you know, I watch a lot of British comedy. I don't have trouble with the c word in general. I know the, yeah. the whole point of using it is that it is very powerful and loaded. That's the the point of using it, and it was not used in oppression. It was not used to dehumanize. It was used to describe. Yeah. So I don't see that there is any trouble with it. It's it's a strong statement strong thing to say but like the notion that it's inappropriate to say something mean about someone (laughs) about somebody like ivanka trump who's actively pursuing anti-feminist agendas i mean come on yeah and i i do think that's true it i think i i understand where people are balking with it as really strong language because of like i know a number of people who just aren't comfortable with the word at all yeah and that's Um, fine i I respect that, that, that yeah and that's fine um so I understand like where some of these people are coming from, but the false equivalency of it, I think, is like the larger issue. And the other fact of the matter is, is that while both Jarrett and Ivanka Trump are public figures, again, like you were saying, Barr's comments don't comment, aren't about Jarrett's particular um, policy stances or her character in any way, shape or form. It's about her appearance and 
yeah, I mean, we also need to remember that feckless was in the front of the C word um, with uh, B's comment, which is also a very accurate description of Ivanka Trump. Yep. Anyways, listeners, let us know what you think about this at the Televerse. And uh, we'll see what people have to say. But I was just, I was just flummoxed. I was very surprised that this was a thing. And I th- for me, it's also likely a just a disconnect between comedians and not comedians. And like, yeah. like, like the c word is in much more common usage in com- comics in some comedic circles that as opposed yeah, to mainstream America. So like that is not a word that is off limits. Um, for a lot of comedians, the way it is for a lot of just, you know, if you randomly sample a viewing audience, you know? Um, so I think there's probably a little disconnect there, but I mean, I feel like the, the response is very outsized and it is absolutely the advertisers in the advertisers rights to pull their support and for yes, people to organize absolutely. protests and like, and that's great. You know, that's what the, that's the freedom of speech means. It's not freedom from consequences, as we've been saying. Right. Yeah. Um, it, but th- so that's why B has responded as she did and apologized. And, the, you know, we'll see. But just this notion that I, I was seeing, I, th- I think it was Sanders might have somebody else. What shows you what you think, what have ever happened to civility and discord civility It's like, um, I think we have different priorities. <laughs> well, it's not, and, and this gets to like a larger issue of the idea of language and what's appropriate. And this idea of a civil discourse kind of goes out the window when we're holding Samantha B's feet to the fire over this comment. Or um, when people but, are doing, being actively involved in policies that are ruining people's lives and, for example, tearing mothers and uh, children away from each other at the border. I don't feel like maybe it's not civility shouldn't be the most important thing. Or when like we're still tolerating a the discourse that the president puts forward where he's just like, all right, well, we can't use the C word, but by God, we can call countries shitholes. Yeah. And we just kind of let that slide a little bit. And it's just like, well, Ivanka doesn't get a pass because she's not she's not a private figure in this instance. She's an advisor of some sort within the White House. Um, And so it's just like, eh, no, there's no pass with this with this type of discourse and the civility of discourse is something that requires good faith on both sides. And that is not a thing that I feel like is that is not a thing that happens right now. And trying to get back to that, I think is really difficult when we're tolerating as much uncivil discourse as we are. Yeah. Well, that's very well put and I'm just going to step on it. So I'm gonna leave it there. So again, <laughs> listeners at the televerse, let me know what you think. Um, this week, as I said, talking with the Americans at the end, we only are doing one segment for our week in TV because I've got a lot of work stuff coming up. <laughs> so I haven't seen very much. So Noel's going to carry us a little bit in our week in mm-hmm. TV. So let's listen to a little Vivaldi because if I, if I can play Vivaldi, oh, most of the right. time I'm going to play yeah. Vivaldi. It's got some good stuff. <laughs> and we'll be back with our week in TV right after this.
that was the beginning of the first movement of Vivaldi's Concerto for Two Trumpets in C Major, RV 537, the Allegro movement. Uh, I've played that one before. It's super fun. It was featured this week on The Good Fight. We will get to The Good Fight finale, but we're going to kick things off here on our weekend TV with the premiere of The Break with Michelle Wolf, strong female lead. Then Noel's going to give us a, a quick look at what happened or what went down in the Queen Sugar premiere, A Rock, A River, A Tree, and the second episode, there are two episodes this week, of their sojourn here. Then Noel's going to let us know about the pilot for Reverie and whether we should check that out. And we'll move on to our finales. We had the I Zombie finale and He Shall Be a Good Man, the Good Fight finale, day 492. And we'll round things out with the Killing Eve finale. God, I'm tired. Which, that's a great title. Because mm-hmm. I am so often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, post-2016 life. Okay. First up is The Break with Michelle Wolf, And uh, I, I also watched her uh, Nice Lady stand-up special from HBO this week, uh, okay. which was from last year, and it was very, very funny. Uh, highly recommended. Did this live up to, for you, maybe your expectations, or um, what did you think of, of like, her late-night show-ish that's going live in the morning on Sundays? Um, I didn't have any particular expectations for this. Um, I kept forgetting that she had a, sh- and like I remember, I knew she had a show after following the White House press correspondence dinner. I just kind of kept forgetting that it was happening very soon. <laughs> um, and if it hadn't been in our rundown, I would have probably not noticed it. In part because of when I've had free moments, I've been binging the new season of Terrace House, um, which is very good, by the way. <laughs> um, but, um, so I didn't really have any expectations for it. And I generally liked this. Um, I didn't, I felt like the, the tit, um, the tit, titular? Titular. I can never, yeah, I can never say that word correctly. Thank you. Um, sketch was a little long and the joke kind of runs into the ground, um, a little bit, even though it's funny, um, for like the first, I'd say minute or so. Um, but I think that the overall, um, arch of the episode i really really liked um i liked the little bit of stand-up complete with a microphone at the beginning so the opening monologue um i like the desk bit the desk bit about um that you can addressing head-on this concept of being a feminist doesn't mean supporting all women and in fact it means calling out women who aren't doing the best um by women um so i really liked that whole bit and i liked how she framed it as a sports update um with the graphics and the cards and everything uh, i thought that was really amusing and um and i liked the last bit with um amber um ruffledge ruffledge Ruffin, thank you, um, from Late Night with Seth Meyers as well, uh, where Wolf was a writer and also occasionally on camera. Um, I really particularly liked that bit as well, especially as I am um, somewhat surrounded by babies um, this weekend um, as I'm meeting my nephew for the first time and as well got to meet the child of one of my best friends. Um, so having a discussion about this concept of what it means as a woman who does not want a child and how society reacts to that and these kind of discussions, I thought that whole bit was really, really good. And I, the power between the two of them was really good. So I overall really enjoyed this apart from the sketch, which again, I think just went on too long, but I think that there's a lot of really good stuff there that as the show continues is going to get sharper. And I'm very excited to see how sharp it gets yeah i liked the stand-up at the front a lot i you know i hope that they can keep that up 
because it's really good. Um, the the Alexa thing I thought was okay. Yeah. Oh, see, I had completely repressed the Alexa thing, which is how much I did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely the weak point of the episode for me. And and I the the sketch I had seen separately. They released it on YouTube as sort of like a promo. And I think for that one, it does go a little too long. And I kind of need Michelle Wolf to be a little better of an actor for yeah. it to really land it like yeah. the, the again like the front works kind of but as it goes along you feel like she's breaking more and it's just a little more they get more and more obvious with it which is the point but um yeah so hopefully that's something where she will get a little more comfortable in that role if they're going to keep doing those kinds of sketches but i did really enjoy the the sports thing and the segment with Amber sports smash yeah i think that's what it was <laughs> yeah it's just a really confident first episode it's not quite as like ready on arrival maybe as uh robin thede's rundown but i think it's not far off and i'm gonna definitely be checking it out and watching week to week because it was very funny i laughed a bunch and that's what i'm really looking for (laughs) yeah no i laughed a lot too um i mean even like even like the whole alexa wants lunch meat thing is vaguely surreal um, and I sort of like that bent. I just needed like a little more focused or a little slightly more commentary in some way. Um, but overall, I think that they're, like you said, I think that there's a really sharp, I think that there's a really sharp and funny show already sort of here and they just need to hone it a bit more. Yeah. Well, sharp and funny show. It's not always funny, but when it is, it's very funny. Queen Sugar came back for season three, and if it aired earlier in the week, I would have watched it. (laughs) I'm looking forward to catching up with it. It's just I'm swamped right now, getting ready for our quarterly recital. So um, tell me, Noel, what did you think of the start of season three? Are we getting more of our, you know, Heisenberg, Charlie? We are getting more of Heisenberg Charlie. Um, the deal that she worked out with um, the Landry. Landry? Yeah. Sure. That's right. That sounds yeah. right. I just, I'm hearing Lance in my head. Yeah. The angry, the angry, the angry white millers. Um, uh, the deal that she works out with them um, grants her access to all their financials. And she's also beginning a campaign to take down like the members of the board as well within this episode. Um, so she's moving ahead with that and she's got Ralph Angel's support in doing that. Uh, she does not have Remy's support in this in part because uh, Charlie has not informed any of the black farmers that are going to be milling with Queen Sugar that Queen Sugar is now owned by rich white guys um so there's uh there's definite tension between charlie and remy um so that's all kind of swirling around in this there's a number of other things that are happening within this episode that are largely set up for things to come including um nova's um career prospects are in question though the way that that trajectory is going to go is handled really nicely across these two episodes so far so i'm really excited about that um and what this means for Nova, especially in light of a lot of what happened with her, her paramour in um, season two. So I think there's there's a really good through line happening with Nova, even if sometimes I feel like Nova's storyline is more background. I think that they've done a really good job of keeping it really steady. And I really appreciate that. Um, there's some really good ho- um, Hollywood and Aunt Bai stuff, um, because those two are my life. <laughs> um and um let's see what else i'm trying not to spoil too much stuff 
for you before you uh, get in there. Uh, there is a little bit of a yeah. <laughs> there is a little bit of a time skip. Um, it doesn't seem like super super long, um, but it's it's a little tricky to tell. Um, the only other thing I will say is that something happens at the end of season one that should have happened in season two, and it's something you and I discussed a great deal. Wait, something happened uh, in the premiere that should have happened in season two. Yes. Okay. You said season one. Oh, sorry. No, I meant season two. I apologize. It happens in the premiere of season three that should have happened at any point in the back half of season two. Um, and it's still a deeply affecting moment, but I'm also just, I kept, my eyebrow was raised basically to the ceiling at this moment of like, you guys should have just done this much sooner, but clearly you needed to get rid of that actor uh, um, mm-hmm. is what this amounted to. So these are two really strong episodes. I like a lot of the stuff that they're setting up and I'm very eager to keep going as I always am with Queen Sugar because this is one of the shows I really always look forward to. And I mostly ended up really glad that they aired the premiere right before um, episode two because otherwise I don't think I would have had time to watch it otherwise. So I lucked out. Um <laughs> in getting to watch both of these episodes, but they're both very good. I'm eager to hear what you think about them when you get a chance to watch them. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to discuss the third episode next week. Yeah. Well, that answers my main question for you, which was, is there a satisfactory Ralph Angel blue thing resolution? So there we go. Yeah. And blues being kind of a Brad in the first two episodes. Um, which, since, I mean, um, that's fair. Yeah. Darl is gone. Yeah. Um, so and I will tell you that uh, that actor being a Brad is not a good look on him. Mm-hmm. He's much better when he's cute. Um, so Blue should always be cute. <laughs> well, that seems about right too. Though, have you ever seen? Have you ever seen a kid who is is a good kid and like they're trying to act out, and you're just like, yeah. oh, this doesn't. It doesn't. That's this. Yeah, it is doesn't who work. You are. Yeah. Like you're trying, it work at but all. it's not. Yeah, Moody Teen isn't. Like, that's not you. You'll get over this pretty... And then usually they get over it pretty quick, but at least in my limited experience, but... Okay, how about Reverie? And all I know about this one is its genre, its network, and the cast is is, is awesome. So what is this about? Yeah, let me pull up the cast list for this um, so that we can kind of, like, pump this up. Because one of the really cool things about this cast is, one, it's headlined by um, Sarah Shahi, who is amazing. Um, but then we've got Dennis Haysbert, uh, Jessica Liu, um, Sindel Ruth Murthy, um, who most people know is Mohinder from um, Heroes. And those are like the top four built people. And they're all people of color. Um, Catherine Morris, who you may remember from um, Cold Case, which ran forever on CBS, um, is also in this as a series regular, which I did not realize until Corey Barker pointed it out to me today. Um, cause she shows up right at the end of the premiere. Um, so basically what this is, is Shahi plays a former hostage negotiation negotiator who is hired by her former boss, who's Dennis Haysbert, um, from the police force. Um, he currently works for a high tech firm, uh, that's developed a, a virtual reality sort of simulator, um, that can bring to life in a virtual sense, people's desires or use their memories that they've called from like social media and that kind of a thing um however they've they're stepping up to a new like version and that new version is becoming a little too addictive and people are basically going to comas as their minds become trapped in the software program which is called reverie 
So um, Haysbert's character, Charlie, asks uh, Shahi's character, Mara, to go in and basically try to get people to come out of Reverie um, without necessarily having to unplug them, which could have bad neurological effects. Um, And that's basically the sort of broad premise for the show. Um, There's some stuff obviously happening with Mara um personal stuff that the premise the premise I sh- the premiere goes into very quickly um is going to probably be the serialized through line apart from Catherine Morris's stuff she plays a um department of defense official who's interested in reverie for obviously some sort of nefarious governmental purpose because why else would the government want a virtual reality system if not for bad reasons um and so the first episode just deals with her attempting to talk um, this guy out of um, this uh, cycle of dates and stuff that are high points of his wife who has died. Um, So that's basically what the first episode is. Um, And here's the thing is like between Haysbert and Shahi, this is immensely watchable. It's very good summer fare. It's not asking a whole lot. Um, they're both very good, especially, no surprise, Shira Shahi can make basically anything work, and she does that here. Um, it's not the most compelling premiere, and some of the um, special effects slash green screen stuff just looks not good. Um, and that can be sort of a hang-up. It's like just on the edge of being not good, basically. And as thus is very, very noticeable. But I really want to watch more of this because I like the cast that much. And I'm intrigued to see what they can do going forward with this premise. Um, Because if it's just going to be negotiating to get people out of their dream world each week, that's that that runs the risk of getting too stale too quickly even if they come up with really good things um, in each particular world that she has to dive into to save them. Um, But it also implies that there's only a few, they've only got like seven to 10 sort of um, people who are in comas right now at the start of the premiere. And the show is only doing 10 episodes um, for quote unquote creative and scheduling reasons. Um, So we'll see. I feel like in my brain that, if NBC were to renew Timeless again, that this is something that would pair really well with Timeless um, in the summer. Um, but based just that's just based on the premiere. Um, but it has that kind of relaxed sort of syndication vibe to it that I, I feel like I've been missing a little bit. So I'm eager to check out more. And I would encourage you to at least check out the first episode, Kate, and I would encourage listeners to at least check it out as well, um, just to see if this is maybe your cup of tea. Um, NBC only made the first episode available for screening, um, which is how I watch this. Um, So I was a little disappointed and a little wary, weary, wary, wary of um, that, but we'll see going forward. I'm definitely going to set my DVR to catch at least the next few episodes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking this one out. Like, this is exactly the kind of right. summer viewing yeah. I'm looking for. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then also, at the same time, though, just that concept, how do you lure people back 
to uh, a shitty reality. <laughs> they would much rather be plugged right. into alt. Like right now, like oh, that's so timely. <laughs> I look forward to seeing what they if they do as much with that as they could, or if they kind of just have that as the jumping off point. Because yeah, and yeah. there's definitely it's definitely like in twenty minutes into the future sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like people still have like handheld phones. And the reverie tech isn't, like, fully, completely on the market yet. Um, It's, like, still in the process of, like, being testing. And they even, they're only just beginning to test the, um, the um, the second person is able to join in to your reverie, capital R, um, (laughs) with um, Mara's character. Um, There's some other stuff going on, um, dramatically speaking, with Jessica Liu's um, character, who's the developer and programmer that helped create reverie, in addition to the artificial intelligence that manages the company's system. Um, that, um, is something that come, is hinted at, um, well, not hinted, it's made fairly explicit, um, by the end of the premiere, um, that is probably going to be something that is going to move forward. And so, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good about this. I do sort of feel like initially a lot of these, um, characters were probably blind cast, um, just based on like names mostly. <laughs> um, but the show still has enough elements that I feel like they're tailoring back to the fact of whom they've cast to a certain degree. So that gives me a little bit of, that gives me a little bit more confidence in what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I will definitely check in and, uh, or check it out and check in with everybody and let you all know what I think. And yeah, fingers crossed that this turn, this one turns into a nice, uh, fun, Kind of maybe pair with claws or something for more fabulous summer TV. Yeah. Um, not fabulous summer TV is a zombie because it's a head's finale. I do think it's a good fit for a summer show, but unfortunately, it is over here for the season. We have and he shall be a good man. Um, okay, so basically, this finale felt like, of course, for me, and uh, there was some stuff that was really affecting, and some some things worked well, uh, but. I, I just, I, I feel like it was a good way to tie up the season and some of the choices they made this season and hopefully have a bit of a fresh start next season. Because, uh, like, the, you know, with the brother love thing never really worked. This, like, Blaine's sudden apparent, like, connection with his father, I didn't, I never bought that. And the fact that we were supposed to think he, his dad actually was a true believer Never bought that. Like, there's too many issues like that I had around that. And then the the resolution where Major ends up in charge of Fillmore Graves also has been very. It felt very inevitable, because but not because it was particularly satisfying, but just because they haven't known what to do with that character and have, you know, very much betrayed him this season in an attempt to give him things to do and then set up what they wanted to do, I guess, in their final season. Uh, I, I, the more I talk about this, the worse it sounds, but I did think it was a pretty satisfying, straightforward, uh, conclude, like the tension was effective. The resolution with the cure was not, but, and the fact that you could only get one dose out of it was not, but, um, but, but the moments that needed to land did the, the wedding landed, the vows landed, the, the musical cue and moment afterwards was, was terrific. So, um, for me, despite, having problems with this season, I thought this was actually a pretty solid finale. 
I agree that it was a solid finale. I think it's probably best in my brain. It feels very much sort of like an acknowledgement that a lot of what they were trying to do here just didn't work this season. Um, like you said, the brother love stuff just never went anywhere. And it was really hard to, for the show to dramatize that in a lot of ways. Um, they inc- increasingly just, and they lampshaded this of like people saying things that were happening because they didn't have the budget to show what was happening um so this idea that brother love was stoking the flames of zombie rebellion and zombie discontent um was only obvious in the crowd scenes in his church it wasn't like a thing that seemed like it was putting a massive amount of pressure on new seattle and so that it was really difficult to buy into that and it was also like you said really difficult to buy into the idea that um blaine's dad was was really bought into this concept um so i'm glad that that character is dead for a multitude of reasons um not the least of which is uh knepper's um whatchamacallit um sexual allegations um against him have been sort of like hanging on the show for me a little bit um and you're correct in that everything that they did with major um seemed very inevitable especially because they can't just keep jason doring around forever as as good as i think jason doring is especially in um the penultimate episode of really selling how deeply frustrated chase graves is by his inability to lead and his desire to lead but just the fact that he just does not have the resources or can command the respect that he needs to achieve that i think doring does a really good job of getting that across it just they didn't have anything else to say about it um and so that was that really limited them as well so i'm less enthused about season five though i'm very glad it's going to be their last season yeah yeah um we'll see if do you think this is the kind of show that wants to end with a cure no i don't think so just because this idea that there's only one dose of it because you have to eat the whole brain which i have an issue with on so many levels like you said it's just it's just very lazy writing um to me is just like well we can only do one cure and it's just like can you though can you because you cured that rat you cured that <laughs> rat with a tiny little slice and granted a rat is much smaller than a person but also what kind of scientist takes a zombie cure and have somebody eat it instead of studying it further to replicate it that's insane i don't buy for a second that ravi would do that yeah, and that's what, it, and that's why, like, the justification for it of like giving it to Liv, or in the end giving it to um, Dale, is supposed to like allow us to like emotionally sidestep that because this idea that Ravi would do this for them um, makes sense from like Ravi's character perspective on like an emotional level. It does not make sense for his perspective as like a scientist and also someone who would maybe like to cure other zombies like his best friend um if they're still best friends i legitimately don't know at this point um so yeah it's i'm curious what season five looks like i feel like every especially since season two i've had a really clear idea of what this show is going to be in seasons three and four i don't know exactly what this show looks like in season four in season five i should say and i worry that a lot of it is going to feel really rehashy of season four yeah, we'll see. I mean, it'd be nice if they have some time off. Yes. I think there are good pieces here. Yeah. 
It's just a matter of if they can pull them into something more interesting. I think the reshuffling they're doing with Blaine and entertaining sidekick character who I never remember his name. Don E. Don, Don E. I was right. Uh, who's that... been like seriously like the best thing about this season. His increased presence has just been a godsend. It's been terrific. <laughs> Though they're like the their ability to fail up, upward at the end like it was like perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a big Blaine fan, but this is such a better look on Blaine than what they yes. were doing in the previous several seasons. So yeah. um yeah. I look forward to seeing what happens with that and um, the notion of a very weary live, which I didn't buy for a second, but no, nope. I have huge issues buying that, but whatever show I you know, like that's a beat you can do. I also never bought that. She loves uh, Levon at all. It's like, I'm Oh, so- you're rushing this. I mean, you must be ready to kill him. I, I was really impressed when that with this episode, not impressed, amused um, that this episode had Liv saying his name over and over again of like, this is his name. His name is Levon. And it's just like all season, I have not been able to remember what his name is. And I feel like that is a direct acknowledgement of the fact that no one remembers what that guy's name is. <laughs> I just used the white bread emoji when I was talking about him to other people. Yeah. I really also hope, I think that at this point they need to keep major and live x yes especially after what they did in the penultimate episode so yeah i feel like the 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 handling of that in these last two as long as they stick to it could be interesting and and a surprising thing that almost no shows of this elk do mm-hmm. um but i would i would love if they did if they were honest with that and move forward with the characters um yeah we'll see but I mean, we're both going to watch next season. Who are we kidding? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding anyone by saying I'm, I'm still like kind of eh, about what they're going to do next season. But I am going to watch because I do really like this ensemble. I think it's very good. Um, and I also just, I, what it boils down to is I really just want more Donnie and I want more Clive because Clive has been excellent this season. Um, with him being in the loop and everything, his reactions to things have been really great. And as much as I wanted a lot more from his arc with dale and the struggles with their relationship um it was still interesting that it was an interesting attempt at that kind of a storyline that i wanted it to have more room so the fact that they just sort of backed that up a little bit here so that they can do probably something much more conventional um next season um is disappointing but also they just weren't willing to commit so yeah well we will have more thoughts when iZombie comes back next year for its final season. Uh, but I want to move on to the good fight and let and like find out what you thought of you know season two as a whole, and then this finale day four ninety two. Um, basically, like we're done wasting time now. It's <laughs> which is really what the last couple episodes have felt like. Uh, so yes. what, I I thought everything with with the the labor and delivery was all really fun i like mm-hmm. the ending with the car i thought that was terrific um and that's about the only thing i cared about in this episode what, what i've been really ha- having trouble with um the good fight i mean like it's fine it's not a bad show or anything but just i want it to be so much more successful and so much more cohesive than it is i always end up finding like things I like about it. And obviously the the ensemble is terrific. It's a really great cast, but it never comes together for me the way I want it to. Yeah. And I think that's been 
definitely a larger issue this season than it has been in other than it was in the first season um and weirdly i think that having the rindell's presence sort of like allowed a little bit more cohesion um in that they had they had certain beats that they had to pay service to and then once we get rid of the rindells this season it became a lot harder to keep people sort of rotating um apart from um lucas pregnancy um the lawyer the lawyer shooter stuff never really was an interesting sort of approach for them to do like a through line and some of the stuff that they did that particularly the stuff in the finale um with a bunch of with um three recurring with three returning characters um from the good wife good fight universe um i thought it was deeply amusing and very good wife in that we've got a committee um to solve this problem turns out everyone on the committee is inept mm-hmm. <laughs> um so but i think your point about cohesion is really well taken because so much of the actual stuff of the politics of it or the um the through line regarding Diane's relationship, which becomes entangled in the politics of it, never really felt as weighted as I wanted it to. Um, and this goes even to the shooter um, storyline, which I mean, the show does a valiant effort by shooting um, Delroy Lindo's character, Bozeman, um, there. But it's not enough to make me care, really. And so that was really frustrating. Um so yeah, when you come down to the finale, it's just like I legitimately only care about the pregnancy stuff because it's got my three favorite characters on the show sort of operating together. I mean, it's got it's got Marissa almost doing pratfalls, and then it's got Luca, uh, Marissa, and then Maya, and then Colin's mom saying Swearing. cocksucker. So um, much swag. <laughs> it's so good. It's so funny. And it's legitimately, I think, one of the funniest things the show's done. Um, so I was really enjoying that. But it was also just really reinforcing that a lot of this shows has too many corners that I'm not particularly engaged by, despite liking these actors a great deal. I mean, the fact that Audrey McDonald virtually has nothing to do is a crime. Um, and also just goes, Erica Tazel could have done literally all of this. So what's the issue with Barbara that you guys couldn't figure out a way to write around? Um, so yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel, it didn't feel as essential as it did um, last season, I think. Um, Cause last season I think felt just particularly cathartic for me anyway. And this season feels less cathartic, but I also think that that's partially by design in this, we've been lulled into sort of a state and that's reflected in a lot of Diane's actions, but I don't necessarily feel like that makes for compelling television either. Yeah. I, I If they're going to do all these, like, um, bugging, like, where do they get the tape from things? I, I so needed them to cut back to the NSA. Yes. Guys, you know, with the goats. Like, just, just like, a quick shot of them just, like, listening, going, huh. Or, like, yeah. who, how do they get this tape? And then, like, they're listening to them talk. They're like, it wasn't us, right? No, I don't know. they don't know where. And like, no, we didn't tell anyone. Like, like that <laughs> Would have been great. Um, I mean, it's a lot to pay some famous or some pretty well known actors to do a shot like that, but it would have been funny. Um, as for the rest of it, I mean, this almost lets me like head can like completely accept and head cannon away the stupid stuff with um, um, Diane uh, at the end of Good Good Wife. Um, so like, I, I'm a, I'm a good with fresh start, you know. 
relationship yes. fresh start here. Um, and I, this is thinking because the Rendell stuff for season one was just not good. No, it wasn't. It was it was not good. So I think the pieces in this season are much better, but there just didn't come together for me the way that I that I know that the show can. So I just hope it does in the next. I mean, I'll still watch the next season. Right, that's the thing. Is like sort of like in line with iZombies. Like I'm going to watch next season. I just I really want them to have Maya do something next. Season. Yeah, well, I mean that's the thing, and you've got such a deep bench. I, and they, there were clearly topics that they wanted to talk about, but they don't think they did the legwork for them. Like when right. all of a sudden Jay is the the son of immigrant parents that just never did we know that did that had that ever come up that his parents were Nigerian. I don't think so, but I'd have to go back and rewatch season one. More so is like, we're not doing a lot of legwork with his storyline anyway, with his brother and then the yeah. stuff regarding the rest of like the firm's involvement and that kind of thing, which is very of a piece with what the show does in terms of like these sort of character conflicts within the firm. But because of the compressed episode order, Weirdly, the Kinks haven't figured out how to do 13 episodes yeah, of storytelling, which is amusing to me that they haven't quite figured that out yet. Because Brain Dead had the same problem, um, but Brain Dead by the end was coasting on just how delightfully weird they were willing to be, and the Good Fight hasn't managed to find that balance yet. Yeah. Well, like we say, we will be back for season three. But uh, yeah. The- oh, that reminds me of one other thing. Did you see the rumors that Bartha's like done? after this season oh i did not but i'm not surprised and that would inform a lot of what we were seeing towards the end right and i think that makes sense like he's going to go to dc there's no way luke is going to go to dc because kush is too amazing for this show to lose um but rumors are that bartha is done which is probably for the best like you said from like a story perspective because he was offering nothing this this year either yeah, well, they didn't, you know, they didn't really give him anything, so yeah. I could see why. Which is a shame, because he's yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. And it was quite a pivot with that character, like, with how they yes. were treating the, the that dynamic and that relationship. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Because I also don't buy him being an absentee father or not, like, nope. I don't buy that either. So they're going no, to have to do some one. legwork. Yeah. Anyways, um, let's move on to our last episode of the week, and that is the Killing Eve finale. God, I'm tired. So as I previously mentioned, I watched this with friend of the show, Ellen Shoemaker, and mm-hmm. we had very different reactions. Yes. One of us really liked it, and one of us found it tiresome, and, it's, and then we talked about it. I'm curious if you had either of those strong reactions or were somewhere else in the middle. Shocking no one that knows me. I was probably somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think a lot of that boils down to the fact that so much of this episode is very, very good. Like, I really loved the stuff with um, Vianel and uh, Constantine's... Constantine's? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Daughter is... Yeah. Yeah, is delightful. And it's really good. And they found, like, a perfect actor to play off of uh, Jodie Comer for that. Um, cause that energy is just, it's, cr- it crackles and it's really, really good. Um, and so the stuff with Eve and Constantine, uh, was really solid as well, I thought. Um, and then everything in Vianelle's apartment, I think is really great. Um, there's so much different kinds of tension once, uh, Vianelle returns home, um, that, I just could not look away and I I didn't want to look away because it was so good and it 
the show was really building to that moment. It was really great. And then the actual climax and the escape. And I just went, "Mm, no, but I want so much more from you show that I'm willing to let this go. It just, it felt really, it felt like it felt a little too easy for that to like be what happened. Um, and that she escaped so easily. It's just like, she's got a gut wound. Just go after her. Um, is basically what my brain was. It's just like, you can catch up to her pretty quickly, Eve, I think. Um, so that's kind of where I was, is like, I really enjoyed everything up to basically like the last like minute and a half, I guess, or like two minutes. But it was also one of those things of like, all you needed to do was run after her. And so the justification required for E for sorry, VNL still being on the run. I'm super curious about how that's going to play out. How did you feel about it? I'm guessing you were feeling kind of tired by it. Yeah, no. So Elson really loved it. And okay. I just, and I could just, you could just see as it goes along, we talked about this previously, um, the, the, that it was pivoting to like the, the, killing e version of murder husbands you know yes. and that's not interesting to me at oh, okay. all and so uh, like the, the notion of she's so obsessed with Villanelle and and thinking about her all the time and all and throws everything out other all these other things because she's got to catch her she's got to talk to her she's you know that's not interesting to me um because I, I, I just like okay i guess then because maybe it's because that's so distancing that's so it doesn't like she's been such a a nuanced and like obviously dark and um complicated character but she's also felt very uh, like there's always been an in to the character like it things you could tie on to and maybe she's losing her sense of self and maybe that's why but I, I just I, I find stories about and this is the same trouble I had with Hannibal. I find stories about the somewhat dark per, uh, personality, but mostly like normal person being seduced over to the the dark side by the mysterious and forbidden and um, kind of violent you know side of of life and darker. Um, side of humanity and losing track of like an innate themselves yeah yeah themselves losing their sense of identity and self i just find that tiresome i feel like i've seen it before and it's compelling and it's interesting but i don't feel like it i've seen a a version of that that offers anything new to say than the other versions i've seen of that and maybe this will be the one um, but what I was glad that I watched with Allison because her perspective on it, um, was more about expectation and then the foiling of the expectation and the false expectation and the sense that, um, that, you know, she had really built up all of the, like Eve had built up all these fantasies of what it, the, Vinyl was going to be. And then she goes to her apartment and it doesn't live up to that. And she, it's, it's not what she expected or what she thought it would be. And it's, and she goes and she, and she doesn't, um, like, like, and so it's, it's like this, like, she thinks she knows what it's going to feel like to stab her or to kill her and that it's not that. And it's, so it's like this 
it's actually a subversion of all of that. And so that, that was a very interesting perspective um, and helped me kind of think about the show in a new way. But then what it does is it, for me, it's it's kind of the thing where I realized, oh, I was watching a different show than the show was making. And the show, it's the, what the show wants to be is also very well done, fascinating and terrific performances and excellent writing and all these great things. It's just less in- specifically interesting to me. And so that's why I feel like more disconnected from it and less interested in it. And I also like gut wounds stabbed and running through Paris, but they're going to be fine. Like, I'll take that with Hannibal, <laughs> but, like, Hannibal's supernatural. Right, because and, Hannibal's magic, right. Yeah, and maybe VNL's <laughs> supposed to be as well, but I don't know. It, it, for me, I also tie it into the title of Killing Eve and the idea of killing who her identity and who she was or who she thought she was. And uh, maybe I'm just pedestrian, but I... I liked who kill, who Eve was. I thought I was interested in who Eve was and who she maybe she thought she was but didn't realize she hadn't really examined. Like that felt like a nuanced and interesting and underseen type of performance and type of character on TV. So that's why I so lukewarm about it. But it definitely I, I need to think about it more and maybe rewatch it and with some more distance and some more time to think about it, I'm sure I will have some different thoughts on it. Um, I'm still definitely figuring out exactly where I fall on this, this finale. Do you, what do you think of my, like all of the stuff, this, this long monologue I've been going on? No, no, no. Um, I think Allison's interpretation is really spot on. Um, given a lot of the show, I think, I think it's really correct, honestly, about what the show sort of wants this to be. Um, there's a, high degree of comfort um within eve and nico's life that the show does a really good job of dramatizing initially um from the whole idea of this is how i would kill you being just a really calm sort of conversation of like no one believes this or they're just her her asking if they're going to have sex then remembering that she needs to do something and then forgetting that she's going to have sex with nico and that she offered and then him saying i don't really want to because i'm just very tired um that the show does a really good job of dramatizing that, but also that that sort of domesticity was really attractive to Nico and that it was ultimately sort of stifling for Eve. And so the expectations that, that she has regarding VNL um, in of what VNL wants, which is specifically a cool job, a nice apartment and someone to watch movies with, with goes back to the premiere in which she's, asking Constantine to stay and watch a movie um, is so pedestrian um, that I, I can understand sort of Eve's disappointment on top of the fact that she lives in admittedly a very nice apartment in Paris. <laughs> um, like I would like to have that apartment in Paris. Um, so I'm not quite sure why Eve's so upset, but I do think that this is your hesitation and your disinterest and your tiredness regarding the whole getting sort of swallowed up into this compelling psychopath um is something to be conscious of um especially on an enjoyment level from our perspective as audience members but also as critics um of like how many times can we do this 
and how many times can we do this and find it interesting? And we've hit probably Kate's limit on this. Um, we probably have not hit my limit on it, but I also think that it's boils down, and this is, I think, going to hinge a lot on what season two presents us, in whether or not this sort of a commentary becomes some sort of meta-commentary on our relationship with these sorts of stories of whether or not that we that our disappointment and our expectations um, of what these sort of stories do somehow gets translated into Eve's own frustration and her own hunt for uh, Vianel within season two. Um, I'll be curious if that happens. I feel feel like Phoebe Waller Bridge is someone who has demonstrated a ability to hit that kind of level of meta narrative even just in fleabag but i still feel like that's present here to a certain degree um and i'd be curious to see how much of that is, happens going forward because hannibal like to go back to that particular well really sort of grappled with that not as much as i maybe would have liked but they did definitely paid slightly more than lip service to that concept um and made arguments about it um the degree to which killing eve will do that is going to hinge a lot on what season two offers us um and i hope that that's sort of where the focus is because my concern is that with eve wounded with eve no longer without constantine and with um eve sorry with with vianelle no longer without constantine and with eve sort of rogue at this point um the 12 somehow closing in on this and becoming sort of the overarching um antagonistic force that is a much larger concern for me because it's not something that's particularly interesting yeah i also i find it i guess tiresome again is the the sure. the expression uh the, the term i should say um, god you're tired <laughs> yeah exactly god i'm tired of shows wanting me to see somebody who cold-bloodedly murders people as the as someone that I should care about and root for. And um, I had this trouble with, like, Breaking Bad very early on, um, where I, like, I went from, like, Walter White is a tragic figure to, he no, he's, he's straight up bad. Like, really yeah. early in my viewing of that show. Um, and, and we get frustrated when the show was trying to like, have me root, like say, like when you want, you could tell the show wanted you to root for him. I was like, no, he like, he's a bad person. Now, obviously this is a very, it's a very different kind of thing. Cause he was taking delight and joy in the suffering he was causing other people where she just doesn't connect it. So, so that's very different. But if the show, I'm, I, maybe what I'm more worried about is this notion that the show is going to pivot and they're then they're going to go and take a take on the twelve together or or something, yeah. and which I don't want, want. Which yeah, and want me to root for VNL or like pivot and like VNL is more the heroine and and Eve is more your antagonist figure for a while or just like kind of kind of pivot the dynamics in that way. I just again like they kill people, they kill lots of people. Um, the, the the different assassins that we meet on the show. So, and, and some of that, because one of the things I really liked about the premiere was that they didn't kill Dom. But 
now I'm questioning that because it feels like a cop out so that you can get away with this ending and get away with, I mean, again, like I care about Nico and I feel like the show made us think that so does Eve, but in the action she takes in this episode, she's like, are we not supposed to think that she doesn't care if he gets killed? Or she just cares more about, she's just a very selfish character, and she cares more about her obsession with VNL than, you know, signing a death warrant to her husband. Because yeah. these, like, that's what's going to happen. And, and maybe because she got away with, she, like, yes, there was a close loss with Bill, um, and there was, um, like, the, those people died on her watch in the hospital, but Dom didn't and die. And but Yeah, exactly. Like, like... It's like I feel like the show wants me to forget that because Jodie Comer is so good, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the performance is so charming, and the writing is so interesting, and I'm never gonna forget that. It's the same issue I have with Blaine on iZombie. I'm never gonna forget that show. So please stop trying to to get me to when you want this person to be your romantic, you know, charming lead, which they were doing for a while over there. So so yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's the kind of thing that depending on how season two goes, which I'm definitely gonna watch. Yes. Definitely excited for, just nowhere near as much as I was before. Um, how the way that this develops, the, the dynamics develop, I may end up retroactively much more engaged with, like, the, the what we saw at the end of, of this season, the last few episodes. Um, if, if, I just don't have that sense, in, like I did at the beginning of the season, like, that I was super in and game. And obviously, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is terrific, and she's, you know, she's... She's an amazing writer, and Fleabag might not have been as much my cup of tea as it was some other people's, but it was still really, really good. And um, obviously watching Judy Comer and Sandra Oh get this terrific material to work with has been a true uh, treat this year. Um, but I, I'm less... Like, I guess I'm giving the show less leash, you know? Yeah, which is fair, I think. So um, we'll see. But, yeah, well, I, I guess if if anyone from Killing Eve is listening, and you're probably not... <laughs> Our recommendation is, is like, don't end any sort of episode with Eve and Vianelle falling over a cliff while Love Crime plays, because then Kate is definitely out. She's so <laughs> out. Don't do it. Oh, God. <laughs> I just hate that finale so much. I hate it so much. I hate that last 15 minutes. It's just complete, like, just, like, which is how we talked about it for three hours. <laughs> Anyways, what wins your week in TV, Noel? Um, I think it's the Killing Eve finale, despite what we just <laughs> talked about. Um, I still really enjoyed it. It was a really pulpy, fun hour, um, up until, like, the last little bit. Um, then it's just sort of, like, a stretch to get it to season two. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I would ask you what your winner for this week in television is, but you're just going to discuss it for the next half hour with two people who actually watch the show, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, it's the American series finale. Start is the name of the episode. Um, but yeah, there there was some fun TV this week. But, it, you know, I only watched a few, handful of things, but nothing was going to have a, anything. And we're near close to a nothing chance of was going to be, yeah. the yeah. American finale. So, 
Yes. Uh, a few show notes here. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. Um, you can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed or over on Stitcher. And we would appreciate ratings or reviews either place. Reach out, let us know what you, you know, what, which uh, segments you like and uh, what you're listening to and all that good stuff. Um, then, of course, you can find us on Twitter. Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And thank you so much, Noel. Thank you, Kate. It was a lot of fun this week. Yeah. And now I'll throw it over to a little trailer, or you know, who am I kidding? It's it's going to be music, and I'm going to have to choose yeah, it's gonna be music. between two fabulous cues. There's so many, so many music options in this Americans finale. Uh, so let's go listen to a little music, and then I'll come back with friends of the show, Alex McLevy and Alison Shoemaker, to talk about the series finale of The Americans Start. I'll be right back after this. Hi. We're not in right now. Get back to you soon as we can. Wednesday. Let's get Paige. And then straight to New Hampshire. All this time. You're gonna have to choose now. You think we can trust him? Yes. Don't miss the final chapter of the Emmy Award-winning series. I'm gonna kill. The Americans series finale, Wednesday at 10 on FX and FX Now. Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and I am fortunately not joined by my wonderful co-host, Noel Kirkpatrick, because he does not watch The Americans, but you know who does watch The Americans are my fabulous guest co-hosts here for this segment from the uh, AV Club and many other places, Alex McLevy and returning friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker. Welcome on the podcast, guys. I'm so excited to talk Americans with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Likewise. So we are going to focus today on the series finale of the Americans, because, like, we'll have to do a future, like, deep dive, we love the Americans so much, um, full series talk. But if we try to do that, we won't give enough justice in what time to this finale. And if we give enough justice to the finale, we won't be able to touch on everything else. So we've decided, listeners, to focus on the finale. Um, let's start uh, with with Alex. How did this finale work for you? Like, were you... Like, how were you feeling leading up into it? And then did the finale, like, match what you were hoping for? Or did it surprise you? What did, what did you, you know, how, how did it come together for you? Yeah, I think one of the great things about The Americans, right, is, is exactly the way in which um, it sort of prepped you to go into it, knowing that expectations were sort of a foolhardy thing to have uh, in your head. Uh, the idea that this show was going to end in some sort of pat or predictable or safe way, I think, was, you know, has been set up from the very first season to be something that you can't really expect. And so for me, I really went into it not knowing where they were going to take the story, but ending up really, really quite satisfied with where they did. I think it was a very smart choice on their part to not have any major deaths or any sort of shocking, you know, uh, reveals or anything in the final moment. Instead, it just sort of unfolds in this sort of sad, difficult, you know, 
way that I think life does for these characters a lot of the times where it's not really satisfying. It's not really happy, but it's also not a complete uh, tragedy. It's just sort of painful, difficult life decisions that have come to their sort of natural end point. Yeah, there's you brought up several things that we will be coming back to. Um, but yeah, the for me, t- looking at this finale, it's imp- it's impossible for me to not think about it. Obviously, in the context of the rest of the show, but also in the context of the other like really anticipated big series finales of you know kind of intense character dramas that we've had over the past several years, and this one felt so distinct. Um, for many reasons, including the big one of not killing anyone, because that's not the only way to make drama. Um, but we will come back to that. First, I want to know, Allison, what did what did you think leading into the finale, and how did you how did you feel like they stuck the landing? You know, I wasn't really sure what to expect. There was so this incredible sense of foreboding all season long, which is not unique to this season. It's a show that's filled with dread. But as things started to accelerate, as Stan caught on more and more to what was going on and started listening to the voice that he heard in his head way back in the pilot, um, it just seemed more and more like there could not possibly be anything resembling a safe way out for these people. And I think it's so brilliant that in the end, there was a safe way out, but it came at an unthinkable cost. It feels like a spy show that was any other spy show would have ended in spectacularly bloody fashion. And instead they left these people with huge weights to carry the idea of Stan sort of always living, not just with um, the pain of knowing that he was lied to and betrayed for so long by someone he loved, but the physical embodiment of not being able to trust anyone sleeping in his bed next to him. I mean, potentially forever, but who knows? Um, and knowing, see, seeing Paige sitting in that apartment by herself and seeing the Jennings looking out at a country they don't recognize anymore. That's the end to a heartbreaking family drama, not a spy drama, but I, the Americans was kind of always both. Yeah. Well, it's just that, you know, the the type of drama and concern that the show has always had is not like, yes, it has amazingly tense action sequences uh, in the show. There's a history of them, just like nail biting edge of your seat, like fall off the couch from anticipation kind of tense sequences. But this is a show much more interested and always has been in the human aspect of these characters lives not the like the superhuman spy game aspect it's more it's interested in how that stuff affects and shapes who they are as people and what their day-to-day life is um you know if they had to prioritize them i feel like the showrunners and the cast and crew and everybody would always put the interpersonal dynamics and characters like internal lives above everything else and so of course it made perfect sense that that's how we would leave the show yeah it's um it it's so perfectly the americans and yet i never in a million years could have predicted it and that also feels perfectly the americans going into this finale i was just like i I couldn't like there's only one episode left how was there only one episode left uh i didn't realize it'd be an extra long one it was like i couldn't i legit could not imagine all the different things that could like there, it could have gone so many different ways and still felt satisfying and still felt interesting. Um, but yeah, it's in for me to think of this show, like a show with this 
description and like logline and all of that stuff, not ending with any main character dead. But you're still, if you're like me at home, like either sobbing or on the brink of it, like for half of the length of the episode is, uh, is quite a feat. But, you know, I, again, I've been saying on the Televerse the past several weeks, it's hard for me to not compare the end of this show's run to the end of Breaking Bad and that sense of culmination and inevitability and the discovery of the agent and all of that stuff and the, with the close family member or friend figuring everything out. And I just, Oh, I just love the way that they chose to go with that. And and let's go right from that into that garage scene. Let's let's talk about the garage scene and how this is an episode, at least for me, totally driven by that scene and the talking in that scene <laughs> and then the <laughs> silence that the rest of the episode is defined by. Um, Alex, any thoughts on that garage scene and how early it happens in the episode? Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. When when I spoke to uh, the showrunners recently, you know, I, I sort of asked them specifically about two, the two, two confrontations, right? The final confrontation with Claudia uh, and Elizabeth and the confrontation with Stan and how they'd seen them sort of playing out from earlier on in the in the series run. And the Claudia one, they said, was came fairly late in the game, you know, the second to last episode uh, confrontation with her. But the Stan one, they had been dealing with for so long and trying to figure out exactly, you know, how they were going to do this, how they were going to effectively sell the idea of this man who has been hunting these people for so long, only to realize it's his best friend, it's his next door neighbors, and how they could, they could plausibly do that in a way that would end with Stan lowering his gun, you know, and, or, you know, letting them drive off. And I think what's what's fascinating about it, right, is is that you see how it happens, and you see how it happens in the sense that you see multiple reasons that he could do this because the show has given you so many reasons to allow Stan to make this choice. Whether it was his behavior earlier with Oleg, whether it was behavior, you know, there's so many cases of him sort of lowering that guard of what he's always supposed to do with his job, with his you know, drive with his mission for the people that he has decided don't fit those rules. And so to have him do that, I think is, I think is great precisely because there's so many reasons you could come up with for him to do it. And yet I bet none of us have the same reason. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, the Oleg arc we get in these last few episodes, I've never been a fan of Oleg and the way that they end with that character uh, is just, it it gives me so much goodwill <laughs> for him. It's like, oh, that's why we watched all of that, to get us to this point. Okay, I don't know if they had that planned ahead of time, but I feel like they, for me at least, they retroactively like earned all the time with Oleg that I didn't think that we needed in previous seasons with just that shot of him. In the, in the corner of his cell. And I felt the same way about Arkady Ivanovich as well at the end here. I have a question for you guys. Did Stan send the message? Allison, do you have a guess? I mean, I think that he did. And I don't know how he would have, but Stan is obviously incredibly resourceful. Um, but I think, I think that Stan is a person who over and over again has shown that he cares deeply about people and the people he loves, but just people in general. Like he's, 
for all of his many mistakes, and there have been many, he's a, a good person and wants people to be happy and safe. And I think that's part of why the Gennady storyline affected him so deeply. Um, and I can't imagine him knowing from two people that he cares about in different ways. I would never say that his relationship with Oleg was anything like his relationship with Philip, but two people with who he shared intense experiences saying this is really important for the world that he wouldn't find a way to do it. But I cannot imagine how it's just like a, a gut feeling. What about you? Yeah, I think, I mean, as you were saying that, I was sort of realizing part of part of the reason, and this maybe speaks also, Kate, to your point about, you know, what you were expecting from the finale in a broader sense, that Stan, Stan's subsequent decisions to me, it, it, it's almost like a Schrodinger Stan situation for me, where, you know, I can sort of simultaneously <laughs> seeing him both delivering that message and not, and either one wouldn't shock me in the slightest. Um, I do, I have, I have a bit of, I share a bit of Allison's sympathy with the idea for Stan as a humanist, uh, with this idea that he would eventually break down. It's sort of the same reason, even though I think you can make a comparable point here about Renee, um, where I, 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 again, would sort of argue for a Schrodinger, Schrodinger's Renee, where she is both uh, an agent and not. Uh, but at the same time, I can't help but think uh, in a similar way that Stan would eventually let his curiosity get the better of him and he would he would destroy his life trying to get to the answer. Yeah. I, I wonder, though, because I think there's a chance that that this is the time he did that, that following this instinct about the Jennings just ruined him. He, I mean, certainly ruined his marriage, whether he does anything about it or not. Um, and ruined his trust in people. And I don't know how after something like that, you could ever really trust anyone again. Not really. Um, so I wonder if maybe he opened Pandora's box once and wouldn't do it again, even if, and maybe the real tragedy of that is there is a total chance that Renee is just Renee. And if he did a little digging, he would find nothing. But even if he found nothing, he would always have to wonder if he just missed something because he found nothing when he first went snooping in the Jennings garage anyway. Yeah. Oh man, that oh, scene man. with the, the fuse box. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. For me, I love, I love the way they did Renee. And I, I also love Schrodinger's Renee. I think that's absolutely appropriate. Um, yeah. And I agree with what you were saying, Allison. Like what, for me, what I see him doing, you know, off coming off of, that rushing and what that means for him and, and just how powerful a moment in his life that that decision is and that that moment is. Um, I just see him like quietly stepping off to the side in the, uh, the CIA and our FBI and doing going back to do like breaking drug cartels and just making sure he never brings his work home and be like, well, if she is, I'm just going to make sure I don't bring anything for her to catch at home because what if she's not and I love her and I can't be ruined by this. And and even if he dug in and found nothing and he felt confident he didn't miss anything, he would know then that he didn't trust his wife. You know, it's like, there's no yeah. possible good answer, but I also love that. I mean, this goes down back to that again, that garage scene and the performances from everyone. I mean, no, Emmerich is amazing in this whole episode. Mathurice is amazing in this whole episode. We'll, I'm sure, repeat those refrains with other names inserted in. The the pause 
bef- you know, as you watch Philip decide, do I say something about Renee? And it's just like, you know, like, especially because, you know, it appears that he's going to let them leave. Does he say something about Renee and potentially endanger their ability to get out of that garage? And he mm. has to because he loves him so much. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, like hearing you sort of say you, what you sort of pictured in your head of what what Stan's reasoning or what his thought process would be. I mean, I'm ha- like I can share, for example, for me, the first place that I remember where I went to after as soon as the scene had unfolded and I had a chance to sort of process it was I remember thinking in my head, well, of course, he can't shoot them. Not because he doesn't want to or because he would, but because I think Stan honestly couldn't bring himself to tell Henry that he was the one who had killed his parents. Um, You know, and that's what, again, what I love about that scene, right, is it's precisely that way of sort of, uh, you know, Field and Weisberg sort of set this up so masterfully that you sort of, you you insert your own vision of Stan into that scene. Yeah. And, And so many different interpretations of that moment are, you know, supported and validated by everything we saw over the previous seasons. And because it is so, there's so many layers. And I think these different interpretations, because sometimes, uh, you know, shows and, you know, writers, directors, actors intentionally leave a performance um, mysterious so that you can, it becomes sort of a cipher for the audience and that kind of a thing. And what you see says more about you than about the show. And there's maybe some of that here, but I really think it's, it's actually more about how complicated and nuanced of a character Stan is that he, it's not that they don't know. Like I totally believe Noah Emmerich knows <laughs> what Stan is thinking at that moment, but that he's thinking all of this because how else do you get a, a scene like that? And a, a, a ridiculous outlandish moment of the FBI agents been living next door to the, to the Russian spies all along and, and have it feel so human and honest and real. And it's through embracing the contradictions rather than trying to have an answer. Yeah. Allison, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I've sort of, I, what Kate said, I sort of agree in the sense that I, I see Stan as sort of the ultimate tragic character of the show, you know, for all of the heartbreak that the Jennings endure at the end there being shipped off, ending, losing their family, losing their, you know, losing their life. St- they knew this could happen. They, they've been prepped for this. They knew this was the life they'd chosen. Stan has his life ripped from him. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know what I thought the second the scene ended, um, mostly because I just kind of stopped and was bowled over by this incredible 12 minutes of television that was as intense as a shootout, but was just words and language. Um, but I have spent a lot of time thinking about Stan in the context of Martha since I first saw, and I've seen it a couple of times now, since I first saw the finale. And I, it made me a little optimistic, honestly, because I thought for years of Martha as, as of Martha as being one of the great tragic figures of the show, if not the great tragedy of the show. Um, and I think often about the look on her face when Clark first took that wig off and the like absolute nightmare that is her departure in the Copperfield episode. Uh, but ultimately Martha gets like a teeny tiny happy ending and that she gets yeah. to adopt this kid. And yeah. I wonder if maybe that's not in amidst all of the 
other horrible things that Stan is going to be dealing with. Presumably just a nightmare, at another nightmare at work. Um, and this mistrust in the woman he married and loves for presumably as long as they're together. Um, maybe it's Henry. Maybe what lives in Henry's future is Stan. Maybe somehow that's the new family unit. I mean, he fr- frankly spent more time <laughs> at the house than he did in his own. Um, so I, I just sort of, once I started thinking about Martha and sort of connecting it to Henry, I wonder if maybe that isn't something that some tiny bit of cold comfort that Stan fans can take. You know, it's interesting for me with the, the talking about the garage scene. Um, I feel two things. I feel like the turning point in that scene is uh, of like the dynamics and, you know, whether when the gun starts to go down even before it does is when Stan finds out that Phil's retired <laughs> Like, I think that had never occurred to him in a million years that one of these illegals that he's hunting would just, I'm not even doing it anymore. I've been retired for years. And, you know, like, because it's such a human thing. It's such a, I don't think that Stan had ever thought of the illegals as people, you know. Um, And then that, to me, connects with, with, um, as great as, as great as Noah Emmerich is in that scene, I actually think he's even better in the the brothers in our montage and oh. the, the shots of him just like staring at the window and also holly taylor um at the the you know with the just like girl needs a drink i i you know I, I respect that um you know just the shots of these people just sitting and that i, mean, I know this will be controversial to some but this for me, is blows out of the water the other super high-profile use of Brothers in Arms, which, of course, <laughs> fans of TV Party, Allison's podcast over at Consequence of Sound, will know we talked about in relation to two cathedrals, but uh, West Wing's two cathedrals. But I think it's so much better used here, and that had, like, again, it's just one of those things where I just marveled watching this episode at the performances as you just, like, sit in a, on a stool and look out a window. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that I I sometimes get bugged by just as a as a TV critic is is overuse of montage, right? Or of of music to try and buy some unearned sympathy or some unearned uh humanity for for characters that haven't been fully developed. And what I think what I think you're sort of hitting on here is precisely the fact that the Americans I mean has always has always done such a good job of earning its musical cues. Um in a way that I think m- most shows, I would argue, even don't really do. Uh, and so while I don't necessarily want to get into a fighting contest between two cathedrals, um, I do I do agree with you that what happens here is that montage is set in such a way that it is there to sort of echo what we're already seeing in the characters as opposed to telling us what these characters are enduring. Yeah, I um, honestly, I felt like it sort of made it richer for me that there's this already this episode of television that I associate so much with that song. I think it also helped that there were several great montages in this episode in a show that's, as you say, done them as well or better than anyone has. Uh, And each one I was like, Oh God, I didn't think they could do another one. And then it was so wonderful. Um, on top of a bunch of other great montages this season. But yeah, specifically with Brothers in Arms, when that started playing, I just, it kind of blew my mind. 
But now it's now I just have two wonderful television memories to associate with that song, and that is fine with me. They're both pretty. Yeah, it blew my mind to learn that for a long time they were considering using American Pie. <laughs> yeah, I read that too. That oh, was God. <laughs> that was a bad idea. I'm glad they rethought that. Yeah. Wow. Um, I can't. Oh God, that hurts my brain. It would have been so bad. Oh, okay. Um, but what they did instead was awesome. Uh, do you guys have other? Because there's so many different things, scenes we could dive in with. Do you have other moments that that we got to make sure we talk about? I mean, as as long as we're on the musical cues here, right? I think it's it's definitely worth highlighting uh, Paige's departure from the train. Uh, <sighs> this to me was a scene that you know just speaking. I mean, again, a perfect musical choice there with you two. Um, when it first started, I thought it was going to be too much, and then once that train starts up and she's just standing on that platform, I was I was bowled over by how effectively they had done that. Uh, to me, and what, what again, what makes it so great precisely is that it's not being used to hammer home some emotion that we're being told should be felt here. It's because we, as, as soon as that sequence knows, even if it was silent, we know exactly that mon- what, what is happening there. And we know the emotions that are being felt, even though, if we, even though we don't necessarily know why Paige has chosen this, we know the emotion behind it. And that, as always, and I think this is something Weisberg and feel like come back to again and again, is that the, you know, the why is never as important as the, as the sense, as the, as the gut feeling that derives from a decision that's been made. There's, the decision is never as important as the emotion that accompanies it. Hmm. Yeah, I um, am very curious to know your thoughts on this, Kate, as the, the most music-focused TV critic I know. But I also loved it. This when I heard it, I was like, "Wow!" First, they saved you two this whole time, all six seasons. They had this in their pocket. Um, I've been. It's a great day if you love to read about behind the scenes stuff on TV because there are just a bunch of really great pieces out about how this finale came together and knowing that they had to fight for the rights to that song basically right up until they were finishing the cut of the episode, that it was sort of an 11th hour get and they had a bunch of backups. I can't imagine another song in its place. And I think that that is really wonderful. And then, yeah, when it drops out, when they're having their papers checked, only to have scream come screaming back in when we see Paige on the platform um, was incredibly effective and moving. And also just shy of too much, which puts it right in line with the McDonald's scene when he glances over at the family sitting mm-hmm. in the, it's like it inches up right to the edge of too much. But at that point the show has earned it and I think we've earned it. So yeah. So Kate, I want to know what you think. Oh, I'm like tearing up just thinking about it and listening to you guys talk about it. It was amazing. And like you said, it should be too much like with or without you. And then she leaves and they, you know, they thought they would be with it, but now they are without. And is she going to like, it's again, it's, it's, should be too much and the mcdonald's scene should be too much but because this is a show with such subtle acting it's not because of holly taylor's just still face and because of the break in elizabeth and phillips expressions that they then have to like you watch them struggle to recover it it's not too much because the it's they they can't emote or else they might get caught and so the music does it for them uh and she can't holly uh, sorry uh page can't necessarily emote because she has to distance herself to be able to make that choice um 
the you know like th- there's so many s- sequences like that in this in this episode and i think it's again it just goes back to you know this is not a show for everyone it is very slow at times it is very subtle at times um and it can feel like uh if you're not if you don't commit to the characters if you're not if you don't buy into their story that it's just a bunch of especially when you have these long sequences in russia it's just a bunch of people just sitting in a room talking with long pauses and meaningful glances right but then you have a sequence like this and the the music is very a very well known a very famous very popular very on the nose kind of choice but because of everything else the show is it's just it's just perfect i loved it yeah i think it might be it might have replaced tusk as my favorite musical moment in the americans <laughs> which is so which i think is kind of fitting because that way they're bookends i mean then there were countless other great ones don't get me wrong that's a much longer conversation but um yeah. but yeah it was very moving okay another quick 60 second speculation what does Paige do? Does she go turn herself in? Because I'm like, I, I was like yelling at my TV, finish that vodka, then go turn yourself into Stan so you can at least have some relationship with your brother. God, you know, I don't know. I've thought about this a lot. And I think, I think that she probably goes to Henry, but I don't know that there's any getting out of it at this point, right? Stan obviously wouldn't be able to acknowledge that he knew that she was she, that he knows for certain that she's involved because he can't admit that he saw them in the parking garage. I assume that she also would not say anything about seeing him in the parking garage. If if she does, mm-hmm. then that's it for both of them, and that's terrible. Um, but. I think that, like, I just can't imagine her not winding up in prison, frankly. Like, I just sort of, it's so dour, but I just kind of assume that she's either going to get caught and not be able to lie her way out of it, or she's not going to get caught and will turn herself in, uh, or Henry will turn her in, or something. But I just, I can't... the show went out of its way to sort of underline that Paige is not a very good spy and is not well suited to it because of who she is and what she wants and her relationship with her parents and her relationships with other people. Uh, and I just, I can't see her skillfully navigating a way out of this. It makes me really sad, mm. but it felt that scene where she's drinking the vodka felt to me like a last drink before the shit hits the fan. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, shit is definitely hitting the fan one way or the other uh, with with Paige. Um, I mean, Holly Taylor's performance. I think what's always been so great. She's always been. I mean, many people on the show are, but her particular form of minimalism uh, in performance, I've always been so drawn to. I think that those that episode, a few episodes prior, when uh, Philip came by and basically beats up his daughter, uh, <laughs> not too fine a point on it. Uh, really was was a nice table setting for this farewell because I think it did sort of foreshadow this idea that she makes this decision that this this life to abandon to go with her parents is not the one she's going to choose. Um, I you know there's plenty of reasons we can speculate. You know I think I think you raised some good ideas of, of why she might have chosen to do that of why she thinks there's no real escape for her. Um, but to me, yeah, it really comes back to that i that idea that for for Paige. There is no, uh, there, there is no life on the lamb. There's only life. And so when she realizes that life as she knows it is over, uh, she sort of has this decision to make. 
And, you know, the, like, the, the reasons why she does decide, I, I just really, I, that hits so hard for me, this idea of this, this young woman standing alone, knowing that her, the only people who she could trust are, are gone, and that she now has to basically destroy her life one way or the other. Uh, yeah, it just really, I found it very potent. Yeah. Well, like you guys say, she's not a very good spy. Um, we don't know how much of anything she's done. She's like done some surveillance. And that's still espionage. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But if she were to sing, in my head at least, she, as a, as someone who's very young, and if she were to to spill her guts, I feel like she would get some prison. But hopefully not her entire life. I know these this is these are the things that I'm sitting here obsessing about because I care so much about these characters. And the show doesn't tell you because that the answer doesn't matter. What matters is the choice. Mm-hmm. And what what matters is that gorgeous painterly shot of her with like the lighting. Oh my god, the lighting in this episode was gorgeous. Through the glass door. She's already captured. She's already like contained in that cell of the, that room um as the camera moves past the glass uh yeah that's what matters what we can speculate all day about you know what happens later but and that's fun but that's not why we're here so final <laughs> thoughts about the the finale and and where does this finale rank for you is, is this like in the conversation of all-time great finales is it like per- perfect for the americans but maybe not something we'll remember in 10 years what do you guys think I, I mean, speaking for myself, it's, I, I'm going to need some more time to sit with it, I think. Uh, you know, it's still only been X, X number of days. I don't remember when I when I watched it uh, last. But there is it's definitely I would argue probably I feel fairly comfortable saying it's perfect for the Americans for you know the reasons we've sort of already articulated um, in terms of all time great finales. Uh, you know, to me, the the idea of how a show sticks the landing versus not, uh, is always, is always about precisely this idea of, right. Does it feel true to everything that's preceded it? And given how absolutely true this felt to, uh, all of the seasons that had come before to these characters, to the decisions they've made, to the life, you know, sort of paths they've chosen that have led them to this final, uh, situation as the curtain goes down. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty spectacular. Yeah, I think it's as Alex says, I think I think it's pretty early to say whether or not it's one of the all-time greats, but my instinct is that it is. The feeling that I have in my gut is that it is. I've thought about it a lot since I watched it last week. Um I've watched it uh, twice today getting ready for this and another podcast and a piece I'm doing for a site. Um and every time I notice new things and it hits me differently and hits harder. And I think that's the mark of a great story. It's absolutely the perfect ending for the Americans. I can't imagine another one. I can imagine a lot of ways that it could have gone. And I'm sure those would have felt amazing too, but it just, it feels like such an encapsulation of all of the things that this remarkable show did well. And a showcase for a bunch of really great performances um, and I just, narratively, it was incredibly satisfying. So my gut is that, yes, it's one of the all-time greats, but we'll see. We'll see how we all feel about it in the weeks and months and years to come when we're still talking about this show. Yeah. I Again, the level of difficulty for this finale, like what it needed to do to work. And like, I, I 
feel pretty strongly just because a show has if a show has a weak finale that doesn't negate the whole journey you went on to that point Mm -hmm. um but if they wanted to as, as far as sticking the landing like and to have it feel earned and appropriate for the show but also true to the 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 real stakes of everything that these characters did over the course of the run like all the people that philip and elizabeth brutally killed you know um it, it was it was a quite a needle to thread but i think like you guys have said they absolutely did they think they nailed it a uh, perfect finale for this show and for me i lean towards what you're saying elson granted it again it is way too soon to be saying these things but i'm gonna anyways because it's my podcast and i can't <laughs> um but i think i think it's an amazing finale and one that that'll be in the conversation of great finales like just moving forward talking about tv like this is this is not a better episode than Ozymandias, but this is a better episode than the Breaking Bad finale. This is a better finale than that finale. This is a better finale than a lot of the other truly great finales we've had recently, um, at least for me, uh, of satisfying, gorgeous, and encapsulating everything that made the show great. Um, so I look forward to revisiting it down the line once once I've had like the feels recede a little bit, you know, once I am emotionally ready to go through that again. Um, I look forward to watching it again. So thank you guys for coming on and helping me talk about it. Um, where can our listeners find you in your work online, Alex? Uh, I'm, they can find me at the AV Club or on Twitter at Alex at AlexM247. Allison? Uh, you can find me at Consequence of Sound, the AV Club, and RogerEbert.com, and on Twitter at Allison Shue. And you can listen to Allison. Yeah, you can hear me on a couple of podcasts, but the one I really should mention is if you want to hear Kate and I talk about The Americans some more, this week's episode of TV Party, which is a Consequence podcast, uh, will be centered on choosing the greatest character from The Americans for our Hall of Faces, our sort of TV character Hall of Fame. So you can listen to us argue about that on Monday. Yeah. Good times. (laughs) Thank you guys again so much. Thank you to the Americans for being amazing and for giving us such wonderful TV to discuss. And thank you everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with Noel for another episode of the Televerse.